Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 134 of the Bible Reading Podcast. Today's big Bible question is, why did God not allow Moses to enter the promised land, and what can leaders learn from Moses' failure? So hello, friends, and happy Monday to you all. As you might recall, I'm preparing for a short road trip this week, trying to record a few extra episodes before I head out on the road. So the next few episodes might be a tad bit shorter than normal. Have no fear, though. I should be back to my normal, long-winded self by next weekend. Today's Bible readings are sort of complicated. Thank you, Robert Murray McShane, but they are still awesome. I actually had to debate between three, maybe four different passages for our focus question today, so that's really a good sign. We are reading Numbers 20, Psalms 58 and 59, Isaiah 9 through 10, verse 4. So all of Isaiah 9, four verses in Isaiah 10, and also James chapter 3. Our focus question comes from the Numbers passage, of course, and it concerns the episode at Meribah, which means quarreling, and the episode that caused God to say that Moses would not be able to go into the promised land. In this episode, we're going to see the truth of James 3, verse 1, which is on our reading for today, which says, Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. So let's read Numbers chapter 20 and see how Moses gets disqualified. And we're also going to read about the death of Aaron. Numbers chapter 20, verse 1. The entire Israelite community entered the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and they settled in Kadesh. Miriam died and was buried there. There was no water for the community, so they assembled against Moses and Aaron. The people quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our our livestock to die here? Why have you led us up from Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It's not a place of grain and figs and vines and pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting. They fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord spoke to Moses, Take the staff and assemble the community. You and your brother Aaron are to speak to the rock while they watch, and it will yield its water. You will bring out water for them from the rock and provide drink for the community and their livestock. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he had commanded him. Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff, so that abundant water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me to demonstrate my holiness in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this assembly into the land I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord, and he demonstrated his holiness to them. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. This is what your brother Israel says. You know all the hardships that have overtaken us. Our ancestors went down to Egypt, and we lived in Egypt many years, but the Egyptians just treated us and our ancestors badly. When we cried out to the Lord, he heard our plea and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. Now look, we are in Kadesh, a city on the border of your territory. Please let us travel through your land. We won't travel through any field or vineyard or drink any well water. We will travel the king's highway. We won't turn to the right or the left until we have traveled through your territory. 
But Edom answered him, You will not travel through our land, or we will come out and confront you with the sword. We will go on the main road, the Israelites replied to them, and if we or our herds drink your water, we will pay its price. There will be no problem. Only let us travel through on foot. Yet Edom insisted, You may not travel through. And they came out to confront them with a large force of heavily armed people. Edom refused to allow Israelites, the Israel to travel through their territory, and Israel turned away from them. After they went set out from Kadesh, the entire Israelite community came to Mount Hor. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor on the border of the land of Edom, Aaron will be gathered to his people. He will not enter the land. I have given the Israelites because you both rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Take Aaron and his son Eleazar and bring them up to Mount Or. Remove Aaron's garments and put them on his son Eleazar. Aaron will be gathered to his people and die there. So Moses did as the Lord commanded, and they climbed Mount Hor in the sight of the whole community. After Moses removed Aaron's garments and put them on his son Eleazar, Aaron died there on top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. When the whole community saw that Aaron had passed away, the entire house of Israel mourned for him for 30 days. So yeah, that's a heartbreaking passage in uh, more than one way. We lose Miriam, we lose Aaron, and Moses is barred from entering into the earthly promised land. That's stunning, really. It's especially stunning when you consider God's testimony about Moses in Numbers 12, when the Lord descended in a pillar of cloud, stood at the entrance to the tent, and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them came forward, he said, listen to what I say. If there is a prophet among you from the Lord, I make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. I speak with him directly, openly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. So why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So, if God felt that way about Moses, why was he so, so... Well, so what with Moses? Numbers actually doesn't say what God's reaction was to Moses striking the rock instead of speaking to the rock. But we do actually learn later on, I think it's in Deuteronomy 32, that God was indeed angry at Moses with it for this. But, but why? I think this is a bigger deal than what we see at first. Now, I see at least two big things that Moses did. First, he disobeyed the direct command of God. Moses was told to speak to the rock, but he struck the rock twice instead. Now, of this incident, Spurgeon cleverly said, certainly Moses erred in smiting the rock, for he was told to speak to it. The best of men are men at the best. Well, that's a good phrase. The best of men are men at the best. In other words, we're, we're human. The best men are still human, still sinners. And, you know, disobedience is serious. But I wonder if the second thing Moses did was even worse. In verse 11, this happens. Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring out of water out of this rock for you? Is this Moses attempting to take credit for a miracle that originated with God? It's certainly possible. And, you know, he says, must we bring water out of the rock? And that would be an egregious sin and one that is often alive and well in church leaders today. I think 
that this is the reason that God describes this situation later on in Deuteronomy when he says, 32.51, Deuteronomy 32.51, he says, Both of you broke faith with me among the Israelites at the waters of Meribeth Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin by failing to treat me as holy in their presence. Now, of this second failure, Spurgeon says, Angry, Moses certainly was, and when reverting to a former miracle, the Most High directed him to take the staff, his rod of many miracles, and at the head of the congregation, speak to the rock, and it would give forth its water. In the heat and agitation of Moses' spirit, he failed to implement implicitly the divine command. Instead of speaking to the rock, he spoke to the people, and his harangue was no longer in the language of calm and dignified of the lawgiver Moses, but it had a tone of petulance and egotism. Here now, you rebels, must we, must I, and Aaron, not must Jehovah, fetch you out of this rock. So I think Spurgeon has really nailed it there, pointing to the petulance and egotism of Moses. This is a temptation to those who would lead God's people today in a deadly danger to give into. Shepherds, leaders, pastors of God's people must constantly point them to Jesus and to the abundant blessings at the right hand of the Father. When leaders or pastors or elders or deacons or what have you begin to read their own press clippings, so to speak, when they begin to feel as if they are the one feeding, protecting, taking care of the people, then the eyes of the people can turn from God to the human leaders, and this is dreadful. Hebrews 12 instructs us to keep, fix, focus our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. When that focus shifts from Jesus to a human leader, even a good one, a really incredibly gifted one, then our gaze is on that which cannot save or sustain us. Psalms 35, 4, I think, yeah, 34, 5 says that those who look to God for rescue are radiant and they will never be ashamed. When we look to human leaders for our salvation instead of God, well, our faces will not be radiant and we will indeed be disappointed. Uh, I'm not saying that human leaders don't have a place in the body of Christ, but don't look to them for salvation. Moses is not the one who provided water for the Israelites, and he sort of acted like he was. Let me close with this passage from Jonathan Edwards. This is what Mr. Edwards says. Moses had a great zeal for God, and he could not bear to see the intolerable stiff-neckedness of the people that they did not acknowledge the work of God and were not convinced by all his wonders that they had seen. But human passion was mingled with his zeal. Psalm 106, 32 and 33 says, They angered him also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses for their sakes, because they provoked God's spirit, uh, so that he pr- they provoked his spirit, so that he spake unadvisedly with his lips. Here now, you rebel, says Modus, Moses, with bitterness of language. Secondly, he behaved himself and spoke with an assuming air. He assumed too much to himself. Here now, you rebels, must we fetch water out of this rock? Spiritual pride wrought in Moses at that time. His temptations to it were very great, for he had very great discoveries of God, and he had been privileged with intimate and sweet communion with him, and God had made him the instrument of great good to his people. But though he was so humble a person, and by God's own testimony, meek above all men upon the face of the earth, yet his temptations were too strong for him, which surely would make our young ministers 
that have of late been highly favored and have had exceeding great success, it should make them careful and distrustful of themselves. Alas, how far are we from having the strength of holy, meek, aged Moses? The temptation at this day... Edwards was writing in the 1700s. The temptation at this day is exceeding great to both those errors that Moses was guilty guilty of. There is great temptation to bitterness and corrupt passion with zeal, for there is so much unreasonable opposition made against the glorious work of God and so much stiff nakedness or uh, stubbornness manifested in multitudes of this generation, notwithstanding all the great and wonderful works in which God has passed before them, that it greatly tends to provoke the spirits of such as have the interest of this work at heart, so as to move them to speak unadvisedly with their lips. And there's also great temptation to an assuming behavior in some persons. When a minister is greatly successful from time to time, and so draws the eyes of the multitude upon him, when he sees himself followed, resorted to as an oracle or prophet in people ready to adore him and as it were to offer sacrifices to him as it were with Paul and Barnabas it's almost impossible for a man to avoid taking upon him the airs of a master or some extraordinary person a man had need to have great stock of humility and much help from God to resist the temptation but the greater our dangers are the more ought to be our watchfulness, prayerfulness, and diffidence, lest we bring ourselves into mischief. Excellent advice for leaders and ministers. Jonathan Edwards, thank you for sharing that with us. Now let us continue in our Bible reading for today. Psalms chapter 58, verse 1. Do you really speak righteously, you mighty ones? Do you judge people fairly? No, you practice injustice in your hearts. With your hands you weigh out violence in the land. The wicked go astray from the womb. Liars wander about from birth. They have venom like the venom of a snake, like the deaf cobra that stops up its ears, that does not listen to the sound of the charmers who skillfully weave spells. God, knock the teeth out of their mouths. Lord, tear out the young lion's fangs. May they vanish like water that flows by. May they aim their blunted arrows like a slug that moves along in time. Like a woman's miscarried child, may they not see the sun. Before your pots can feel the heat of the thorns, whether green or burning, he will sweep them away. The righteous one will rejoice when he sees the retribution. He will wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. Then people will say, yes, there is a reward for the righteous. There is a God who judges on earth. Wow. Psalm chapter 59, verse 1. Rescue me from my enemies, my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Rescue me from evildoers and save me from men of bloodshed. Because look, Lord, they set an ambush for me. Powerful men attack me, but not because of any sin or rebellion of mine, for no fault of mine. They run and take up a position. Awake to help me and take notice. Lord, God of armies, you are the God of Israel. Rise up to punish all the nations. Do not show favor to any wicked traitors. Selah. They return at evening, snarling like dogs and prowling around the city. Look, they spew from their mouths sharp words from their lips. For who, they say, will hear. But you laugh at them, Lord. You ridicule all the nations. I will keep watch for you, my strength, because God is my stronghold. My faithful God will come to meet me. God will let me look down on my adversaries. 
Do not kill them, otherwise my people will forget. By your power, make them homeless wanderers and bring them down. Lord, our shield, for the sin of their mouths and the words of their lips, let them be caught in their pride. They utter curses and lies. Consume them in fury. Consume them until they are gone. Then people will know throughout the earth that God rules over Jacob. Selah. And they return at evening, snarling like dogs and prowling around the city. They scavenge for food. They growl if they are not satisfied. But I will sing of your strength and will joyfully proclaim your faithful love in the morning. For you have been a stronghold for me, a refuge in my day of trouble. To you, my strength, I sing praises. Because God is my stronghold, my faithful God. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time, and as they rejoice when dividing spoils, for you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders." He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. The Lord sent a message against Jacob. It came against Israel. All the people, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria will know it. They will say with pride and arrogance, The bricks have fallen, but we will rebuild with cut stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. The Lord has raised up Rezin's adversaries against him and stirred up his enemies. Aram from the east and Philistia from the west have consumed Israel with open mouths. In all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is still raised to strike. The people did not turn to him who struck them. They did not seek the Lord of armies. So the Lord cut off Israel's head and tail, palm branch and reed in a single day. The head is the elder and honored one. The tail is the prophet, the one teaching lies. The leader of the people mislead them, and those they mislead are swallowed up. Therefore the Lord does not rejoice over Israel's young men and has no compassion on its fatherless and widows. For everyone is a godless evildoer and every mouth speaks folly. In all this his anger has not turned away and his hand is still raised to strike. For wickedness burns like a fire that consumes thorns and briars and kindles the forest thickets so that they go up in a column of smoke. The land is scorched by the wrath of the Lord of armies and the people are like fuel for the fire. No one has compassion on his brother. They carve meat on the right, but they are still hungry. They've eaten on the left, but they are still not satisfied. Each one eats the flesh of his arm. Manasseh eats Ephraim, and Ephraim and Manasseh together both are against Judah. In all this, his anger has not turned away, and his arm, his hand is still raised to strike. Chapter 10. Woe to those enacting crooked statutes and writing oppressive laws. 
to keep the poor from getting a fair trial and to deprive the needy among my people of justice so that widows can be their spoil and they can plunder the fatherless. What will you do on the day of punishment when devastation comes from far away? Who will you run to for help? Where will you leave your wealth? There will be nothing to do except crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain. And all this his anger has not turned away and his hand is still raised to strike. James chapter 3 verse 1. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies and consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt water spring yield fresh water. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, Don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Amen. Brothers and sisters, may we be ones who... So in peace, and may we be ones who cultivate peace. May the Lord be with you. Good day to you, and Godspeed.